0: An avid hunter and excited grandfather, Terry Metter set out into the coveted hunting area to scout deer for an upcoming hunting trip with his son and grandson. However, when Terry didn't show up to a friend's house to process an antelope, it was clear that something wasn't right. I'm Renee Nelson, and this is Unsolved Wyoming. Hi folks, thank you for joining me in this episode. I talk with BJ Metter, Terry's son, about his father growing up, his dad's legacy in Rock Springs, and the events leading up to his disappearance. I also talk with Sarah D'Arenzio, a fellow hunting enthusiast and public information officer with Wyoming Game and Fish. There is also a new initiative to help outdoor enthusiasts to make sure that they make it home safe, and I want to tell you all about it. And of course, I have the DCI update with Desiree Tinoco. From missing people of Wyoming's Facebook page so be sure to stay tuned.
1: Okay well so my name is BJ Metter, Um and I am Terry Metter's son. Um,
0: and, and how long have you have you all lived in Wyoming?
1: So uh, Terry moved to Wyoming in like 1970. Oh wow. Um, and then I was born in 1975. I was actually born in Rock Springs um, where the uh, the search and rescue was based in And that stuff, which is about, I guess, as the crow flies, it's maybe 30, 40 miles south um, to where he went missing there. So, So, yeah, he he moved to Rock Springs in the 1970s. Um, He was a school teacher um, for about 10 years. Um, And then he was he was a wrestling coach. Um, That's a lot of his, I guess, his friends and his stories are a lot of uh, those 10 years of wrestling. He still has good friends that we see now that he coached when they were in, in junior high, um, that remember him. Oh wow! Um, and then he left teaching and he started a restaurant, um, about 20 miles east of Rock Springs in a little place called Point of Rocks along the interstate. There, um, you've probably if you've ever been to Rock Springs, you've driven by it, but a lot of people don't stop there. It's kind of a truck stop um, out there by the the, um, the Jim Bridger Power Plant. Um, and so he was, had a restaurant there for about 10 years. And then he actually got also into the restaurant um, at the golf course in Rock Springs. And he did that for about 10 years until um, he retired. So that's incredible. So your dad was probably a fixture of the community then. He, he, he knew a lot of people in, in Rock Springs because like I said, he lived there for almost, he lived there for 48 years. So yeah, he was pretty well known.
0: Wow. And so, you know, what do you what do people say about your dad when they run into you when they share memories or or anything like that?
1: I guess it depends on when they knew him, because um, I can, you know, like when he was a teacher, a lot of those people are um, they're older than me, but they weren't. Um, you know, my dad, when he started teaching, he was uh, what was he? He was about 30 when he started teaching. So a lot of the kids that he, he taught were. You know, they might be in their their late fifties or early sixties now, so they're they're not old, but they're certainly not young. So there is you know, their memories of of wrestling for him or having him in class and things like that. Um, Rock Springs was a pretty wild place in the nineteen seventies, so um, everybody's got stories about things that were going on then. Oh wow, I uh, did not then, know that. <laughs> and then um, people that knew him. Um, when he had his restaurant in Point of Rocks, that's like another group of people there. And they're, they're almost like extended family as well. Um, the family that, that lives out there at Point of Rocks. And then um, it worked really well for him because one of his favorite things to do was golf. So when he got the business at the golf course, he spent a lot of time at the golf course golfing. And um, most of the people that would have met him say in the last 20 years would know him because they met him on the golf course. Um, he was definitely, um, one of the most regular players out there. So.
0: Well, what a gig. That sounds like a great time for him to have his restaurant and to be able to go golf when he wants to. Amazing. And so BJ, how would you describe your, your dad? How was he growing up? How was he as a father?
1: For me, he was a, he was a, he was a great father. He, um, really tried to get me. Um, to, uh, I guess, share his love of um, the outdoors. Um, he'd take me fishing and hunting and um, same thing. I, you know, it worked out good for me too because when he had the restaurant at the golf course, I was in high school. So I would work for him at the restaurant at the golf course and then I could play golf and do that kind of stuff too. But I think, yeah, a lot of it was him liking, you know, he wanted to share how much he enjoyed um, being out in nature um and that's a lot of the memories I have especially of of small is um you know taking a long hike up uh just a little creek and going and catching lots of little tiny fish but it was great because I caught a lot of fish you know
0: and so I mean what an incredible experience and a lot of kids today get the opportunity to you know work for their dad and then to be able to you know leisurely you know spend time golfing and then plus have you know, all the outdoor recreational activities. So that sounds like a fantastic opportunity for you. So is there anything else that you want to share about your dad as a
1: person? Um there's there's a lot. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um you know it was I think he um against you know maybe his own better judgment, sometimes he would like you know, like going hunting, uh this trip in particular um my son and i were with him the week before um i live in big piney so I'm about i'm about an hour and a half north of rock springs okay um, and we were with him the week before to hunt antelope and then my son had uh, a band um oh function i guess and the weekend that he went missing and then the next week we were supposed to come down again and go deer hunting with him but he was so set on getting his he had some antelope tags too he was so um so set on getting those tags that he was going to go get him himself before we came down um and i had accidentally brought him back with me so i had to ups him to him because he was like i need to go get this taken care of it's like you know he was you know 73 probably shouldn't be out there by himself but there's there's no way you're going to tell him he's not going to go get you know Right. He's not going to go do this. So, um, you know, that's who he was. He was, you know, he he was going to do those things until he couldn't do them anymore. You know,
0: absolutely. I I mean, I feel I feel like that's part of, you know, the, you know, not just, um, you know, generational culture, but Wyoming culture, too. Right. That we go until we can't go anymore, you know, really enjoy um, life to the fullest. And so it sounds like your dad was doing that. Yeah. So with that, one of the things that you said earlier, you know, is that your dad really shared his love with the out for the outdoors with you. And so I'm sure along with you no know, teaching, you know, you the ins the and outs of hunting and fishing. And so I read Jen Coacher's uh, article that that you that you did with her and it was yep. so insightful. One of the things that was mentioned in there was that your dad taught you some really valuable safety tips. One of them being that if your car breaks down, <laughs> you never ever leave your vehicle. And so, um, I mean, was he, was he first and foremost, very safety conscientious
1: generally? Um, I think some of that might, like you say, growing up, he, um, he'd gotten stuck numerous times. He was, um, I guess, well known amongst friends and family for driving in places where he shouldn't drive sometimes. (laughs) Right. So he spent, you know, when I was in, I think in junior high or high school, he spent a night down in the same kind of area because, um, he got stuck, uh, with my mom. Um, same thing. They spent a night in the truck and then were able to get out the next day. Um, able to get found. Um, same thing happened with one of his, his other grandsons. Um, up more north by south pass um and so but like each time those kind of things happened it was he was with somebody right so he understood the idea of you know i'm responsible for both of us so we better make sure we're doing it right and in this instant when he he went missing um you know he's not doesn't have that same um calculation I guess of you know taking care of himself is a lot less responsible than taking care of his grandson or his wife or whatever so you know he might have done something more risky based on the fact that he was only has to worry about himself and not somebody else kind of thing
0: right yeah. well and if and if you had a reputation amongst friends and family of getting stuck right why was this going to be any different than any other time that he has gotten yeah. stuck right Yep. So that, that definitely, I can definitely see that line of thinking for sure. So you go hunting. I remember the detail that was shared was that you drew a very loose um, tag for, for Wyoming, correct? Yeah,
1: yeah, exactly. It's actually a tag that he had, um, where, when he moved to Rock Springs in the 1970s, he, uh, it was, it was general hunting. Um, <laughs> so he and his, and some of his best friends that are, that I grew up with hunting and stuff, um, they all kind of hunted in that area for probably 15 years before it became a um, a, a, a draw, a lottery draw. Mm-hmm. And so um, you know that was kind of their spot. And then he actually was never able to draw that tag after it went to the draw for oh 30 plus years. Mm-hmm. Uh, wow! My son drew it on his first year of hunting, so we were we were very excited to get that tag and be able to go down there. So um, it was, yeah, it was it was a pretty exciting thing to have that. So,
0: right? Yes, I I know from personal ex- from personal experience. I don't hunt myself, but my husband is a very he's an outdoorsman, you know, hunting enthusiast, and you know they're always talking about what when does it happen in June you know about the you know the draws and oh my gosh and it's you know they're just you know biting fingernails you know waiting for it to happen and just it's always a very big deal and although I don't personally understand I can empathize because I see how my husband reacts you know during that time of a draw and then the text messages go out of who drew where and, oh man, you know, this guy got this draw. I can't believe he got that. That's such a lucky draw. And so I can understand why it's a big deal. Tell me then, so he goes out to go scouting and to fill his Antelope tags. What happens next?
1: Um, As as far as we know, um, I talked to him on that Friday night, um, which I think just before I got off of work, he called me. Um, just to say that he hadn't had any luck getting antelope yet and whatnot. And we just had a, a pretty quick um, conversation because, um, that's, he was just kind of letting me know that, um, then as far as we know, cause I, that's the last time I talked to him, but as far as we know, he went out on Saturday. Um, one of his neighbors saw him, um, stopped in front of the street and said, Hey, how's it going? Whatever. And, um, and that's the last time anybody saw him. And then we know that he. Um, um, I think the, the that same day they were able to, the last time that his phone pinged a cell tower, um, so he went out on Saturday, presumably got stuck on Saturday, um, and then some other hunters saw his vehicle on Sunday, um, but didn't you know they looked they looked around they saw some tracks go in one direction followed the tracks couldn't find anything, um, didn't call it in. Um, didn't even really think about it um, until I was I think it was Thursday that the search and rescue put out, I think on Facebook, maybe the sheriff's the search and rescue put out a picture of the truck and where it was stuck. And then um, those guys called in and said, oh, we saw that on Sunday. Um, so really from Saturday through um, that Thursday, we really, you know, didn't have any contact. But my dad was very much um not technology-oriented, never owned a computer, um, begrudgingly got a cell phone. His first cell phone was actually the, the old bag phone. Um, oh, wow. And we got that for him because he would go out and get in places where he would get stuck. And we thought, that's great. It was the best cell phone ever because it got reception everywhere. Right. I mean, and, um you know, as they kind of upgraded, the phones got, um, I guess, more high-tech less reliable in the places where he would go. Um, so where he was actually stuck, one of the service providers has no service and the other service provider has great service. So the search and rescue and the county people were all on one cell phone um, and they couldn't use him. Um, I was on a different one and I, could, I was getting calls up there from family, friends and things that were finding out about this as we were searching. So, um, and he just happened to have the wrong type of cell phone that he could have just picked up and probably called and said, oh, I'm stuck up here. Come get me. Um, right. Yeah. But oh, he, gosh. He was just in that dead spot. So Ugh, who
0: reported him missing and when?
1: Um, he was supposed to get together with some friends, actually, to cut up the antelope that we had um, shot the weekend before. Mm-hmm. On, I think, Tuesday night. Um, and he didn't show up um so they called and said hey have you heard from your dad he he you know that's another thing he was very passionate about is how you you cut and you care for your meat um so they were like he didn't show up and that if he doesn't you know that's not like him to not show up for that so it kind of raised the alarm um so they went and checked his house and he wasn't there and then the wednesday morning um, um i called the police they checked the house nothing there and so at that point um We reported him missing. I headed south with some friends, and we rounded up a group of his friends, and we all kind of headed into the area where we thought he might be. Um, Spent the whole day searching around. Um, And one of my friends that I mentioned in the article, we were kind of getting towards the end of the day, and we ran into um, a guy who was on a four-wheeler with his son, um, and he had mentioned to another one of our searchers, that he had seen a truck that had been stuck. Um, and so we stopped and talked to him and he explained where it was at. He wasn't really sure because he was, I think he was from Utah or Idaho. Um, he wasn't terribly familiar with the area, but he had—he kind of explained where it was by, there's a little lake and some old forest service cabins. Um, and so we went back up and did our best to get in there um, and kind of gave up. My friend had... Uh, his daughter i believe bring his razor uh side by side down Mm -hmm. Uh, she didn't get there till quite late so uh but as soon as he he went with his brother-in-law and they went out searching actually in the dark and finally actually came across the truck at like midnight or like five past midnight something like that um called the sheriffs the sheriff sent an officer down they went back up to the truck and looked around searched around the area and the trees and stuff like that like this is all you know after midnight now um and then the next day we met up with the sheriffs and the search and rescue and all that and actually started searching like um more broadly in the area there so and spent probably the next 10 days um for the most part and it took a day off here and there but um, There was anywhere from five to 10 people up there every day, uh, maybe more because there are people out there searching. We didn't even know we're up there. And then um, on that November 3rd, when the search and rescue and the sheriffs and whatnot um, coordinated the big search, there were probably in excess of 200 people that were all searching um, in that area. So that's incredible. Yeah.
0: And so, in your opinion, you feel as though the search efforts that were conducted were good, solid efforts?
1: Oh, I th- yeah, absolutely. I think, I, you know, the one friend who was helping us, I bet those guys walked 100 miles up and down those draws, um, you know, and it was just, you know, we're either looking in the wrong place or, you know, um, he he's either somewhere else or something happened, you know, um, he's not in the area we were searching.
0: <laughs>
1: right. It, it got covered pretty solid. So,
0: yeah, no. And, and that's, I'm, I'm sure that that leaves, you know, you know, how, do, how does that, I can't even imagine how that feels, you know, just the, the wandering and how tough that must be for you and your family.
1: Yeah. It's, it's tough. Like everyone says, you know, closure and it is. Um, certainly it's one of those things, you know, for the first, few months after it happened every time the phone rang i was, was waiting for a call you know from somebody um and every year when it's hunting season you know i'm i kind of um i just nervous that i'm going to get a call from the sheriffs or something because there's hunters down there you know um for two or three months every every fall um all over the place down there and you just you just expect that um something's going to turn up but um you know, there's there's some ranchers down there um, that we've been in touch with and when they move their cows and the sheep herders move their sheep I mean they're they're on the lookout they they're aware that there's um, a missing person in the area. Um, same thing so you know there's a lot of people you know, maybe not a dedicated search but a lot of people still looking out down there um, if they're in the area so
0: well, and your dad being such a such a fixture of the community, you know, and and it, it being in that area, it obviously this is something that isn't you know short of mind. Mo- a lot of people yeah. are very aware and, and are conscientious, and that's that's positive. That's very good. I'm yeah. happy that I happy. I'm happy to hear that you know this is staying in the forefront of a lot of people's minds. And so one of the things that you also mentioned in the article, you know, was that your your dad he at one point had, had experienced some some mental health issues. Correct? That's correct. Yeah. And so, did your dad carry his medication with him whenever he went out?
1: He did. Um, you know, he, he we, um, he never had problems until he was like he was like sixty six the first time, he kind of had a, a breakdown, um, and we had no idea what was going on at that point. We didn't know if he was having a stroke or had you know a tumor or something. And um, they kind of, I don't know that they ever kind of. Um, were able to give it a, a a firm diagnosis but it was basically like a bipolar with psychotic features kind of thing um, but he, he would lose touch with reality um, and so the first time it happened we had no idea um, the second time we figured out that yeah he had um, he'd actually been hunting and didn't take enough medicine um, and didn't go home and get more and went a few he thought he'd be okay for a few days and It just kind of snowballed after that. Um, And so he made a point when he would go hunting to try and keep extra, um, you know, next, but I mean, an extra day or two, not like a a full, you know, month supply or anything. Um, So presumably he would have had enough medication with him to, you know, get by for a few days or whatever. But um, the other thing with the, you know, the mental illness is it was, you know, like triggered by stressful things. Um, So it's hard to say if something like getting stuck, not being able to get in touch with anybody, um, you know, if you, if, if that stressed him out to the point where, you know, you know, that, that kind of takes over and the medicine really doesn't matter anymore, you know? So.
0: Right. So that, that, that episode overpowers the medication. Yeah enough that your dad was conscientious and aware that he needed to have medication just in case because of his previous experiences. Yeah.
1: Yeah, He always, I mean, he always kind of kept an extra, you know, he had the, like the day by day thing to try and make sure he, he always took it or whatever. And he basically kept an, kept an extra one of those in his truck so that he always, you know, if he would, um, he would come up sometimes to visit us or something and he might only come to plan and stay for a day or two. And he ended up staying for three or four days, but then he wouldn't have to worry about going home to get more medication or whatever kind of thing. So, um, because being retired without a whole lot of responsibility, he really wasn't set to a fixed schedule of having to, you know, be anywhere. Um,
0: Right. But even so it sounds like your
1: dad was a planner, right. That, you know, even, you know, we, we've had a couple episodes to kind of, you know, you learn the hard way um, to be a little bit more prepared. Yeah.
0: And so from this experience, what is it, you know, I think there's, you know, my goal obviously for this is obviously to keep people informed and keep your dad's story out there. And so that way, you know, if they travel into the area out of, you know, the Rock Springs area and into the Rock Springs area, they can be aware especially hunters and and so on and so forth but what what do you hope that listeners take away from listening to your story and about your dad
1: um about him I think it's just um yeah he he was um he was in he you know whatever happened there he was he was in a place where he loved to be um he was doing what he wanted to do um and so i mean you know don't be scared to do those things because if people go missing in lots of places over you know um so it's not to be like i guess worried about going missing or getting lost and things like that but you know do be prepared do have backups um one thing that you know it's we just kind of got with my dad he was pretty good about telling us where he was going um but You know, try and tell people where you're going. Um, If you can, give them a map or a plan. Um, But my dad also, his hunting buddies would attest, um, he was not one to stick with the plan. Um, If he saw, you know, if he was supposed to go in one place, but he saw the animals in another place, he wasn't going to go meet his friends and then go tell them that he was going to go back and find those animals. He was very much, you know, I've got to, you know, make this opportunity now because if I go back to camp, the animals aren't going to be where they are right now. So um, that's just who he was. I mean, he he, he was um, very much going to follow his his instinct and his passion when it came to that. So it, it caused friction sometimes with his hunting partners because they would get upset. Um, that wasn't the plan. We didn't, you didn't do what we we're supposed to. You know, but I went and I found my elk. So... Um, and then for, you know, going out, <clears throat> like the thing, if you can, if it's all possible, you know, stay with, stay with your vehicle in your vehicle. Um, his truck was kind of caught in a, like a really bad angle. So it, it would have been really hard for him to like sit in there or try and sleep in there or something like that. Um, but if he could have stayed with the vehicle, um, you know, the got the hunters that were there the next day would have found him. Um. Um, and then, I guess for people, if you go out and you see a vehicle that looks abandoned or suspicious or um, stuck, um, I mean, take the time to call it in when you get back to town. Um, in that case, you know, if that had been called in that Sunday, um, you know, we would have we would have known really almost three days earlier um, to go looking for. it. Right you know but it, and it's all it's all you know hindsight is 2020 20, you know if if this would happen or that would happen but those are just kind of things like you know i think now if i saw a vehicle and it looked like maybe somebody was missing i'd call it in just to you make sure that person got home you know absolutely uh, well and you
0: know usually you know there's a uh... Um, you know game and fish can you know it can be out and they can be alerted and you know cross you come across somebody oh hey that's your truck you know and and know that everything is fine and so absolutely i think that is some really key advice and so in terms of one making sure that folks get home but then two making sure that we're looking out for one another
1: when we're out in the wilderness yeah and i know that's one you know that's one thing like um that's changed a lot since my dad was moved here in the 70s it was um you know it was mostly locals yeah and over the years more and more people from out of state come and there's there's really a um kind of a outsider mentality um that you know we don't like those people from outside or whatever but you know when we're out there we all kind of have to look out for everybody um because we're all out there for the same reason to try and enjoy it you know
0: Definitely. And in a weird way, I almost feel as though locals and, you know, speaking as, you know, a Cheyenne local and, you know, going up to Glendo or Guernsey, you know, we see a lot of green license plates. Uh-huh. And so, yeah. you know, and, and so it, it, I think there's even more responsibilities on, lo- um, to help folks who, you know, this isn't their lifestyle all the time, yeah. you know, to be a little bit more present. You know, you hear stories of, you know, folks coming in from New York and they accidentally shoot a moose, not knowing, you know, what an elk looks like, you yeah. know, and just that they're not, you know, some folks just aren't super educated on the wilderness and wildlife and, you know, you know, outdoor etiquette. And so, you know, I think, I think some of that responsibility kind of falls on locals and in, in order to help folk, other folks, you know, under, um, you know, and how to operate. You know, responsibly within the outdoors here in Wyoming. Yeah. B.J. Thank you so much for your time. And again, you know, this is I think a lot of people are going to hear this story and you know keep keep a you know keep your your dad and their their thoughts and then but also learn you know from this experience as well. And and I think a lot of people are going to appreciate that. Thank you. At the time Terry went missing, he was described as five feet. 10 inches tall, and weighing approximately 180 pounds with gray hair and blue eyes. He may have been wearing an orange coat and carrying a rifle. Anyone with information is asked to contact the Sweetwater County Sheriff's Office at 307-922-5300, reference case number S18-18536 and R18-32089, or the toll-free hotline at National Missing and Unidentified Persons System at 833-872-5176. Case number M as in Mary, P as in Paul, 53670. Hi folks, I'm with Sarah DiRenzio, Public Information Officer for Wyoming Game and Fish, and she's going to share with us today some really awesome hunting tips to help keep folks safe while they're recreating out in the great outdoors, especially with hunting season fastly approaching us.
2: Sarah, can you share some of those tips with us? Sure. So oftentimes uh, when people are planning their hunt, the first thing that we recommend is finding a hunting partner. Hunting alone can be a little bit dangerous. And so I recommend having a hunting partner that can go along with you. But we know lots of people also like to hunt alone or end up hunting alone. And so in those cases, we want hunters to plan ahead by you know, really learning a lot about the hunt area that they're heading to before they go. Um, know about the landscape, the terrain, um, the trails, what the access looks like. Um, we also recommend that people check the weather before they go because weather can have a huge impact on your hunt also when you're packing make sure you bring you know some survival basic survival equipment with you in case something happens you get lost and have to stay in the woods having um, extra food water blanket uh, and some sort of flare or emergency tools will be really important okay so one thing that we highly recommend is letting people know a detailed plan of your hunt that would include where you're where you're heading to um, when you might be um heading out and when you plan to return. Um, If something does happen and you don't show back up, the more information that you left behind, the more information someone has to follow up and um, send somebody to go looking.
0: Fantastic. I think that's a really, those are some really great tips for folks to keep in mind. And so, Worst case scenario, you know, vehicle breaks down or, you know, we get a little disoriented, you know, out in the field. Uh, what do you have any tips for folks, you know, in those types of situations if they're out and about?
2: For you sure. know, one, one thing that we do tell people is if you get lost, stay put, because, um, you know, if you keep wandering around, no one's going to be able to find where you are. Um, and one thing you can do is leave your cell phone number behind with somebody, because sometimes law enforcement can work with a carrier to find your position. And so that can be really important.
0: Right. I, I know well, there was a story this summer, wasn't there, where search and rescue kept trying to call somebody who was lost, but they kept ignoring the calls because it was coming from an unknown number.
2: Oh, wow. Yeah. I think, I well, think,
0: that, I think that was a real thing. And it was like, if, if anybody was ever a millennial in that moment, it was that guy.
2: Yeah, and like, uh, you know, we talk about using a satellite phone, it can be a really important tool for hunters. And I know a lot of people um, hike or recreate with one of those, uh, like spot location devices that uh, intermittently sends GPS locations, but um, you can set up your phone to automatically transmit GPS locations at specific intervals. So that's another option. I mean, no one likes to think about if an accident may happen, but we just like to plan um in case something does that you can be um, as safe as possible and someone can find you.
0: Definitely, I think that's, I didn't know that you could do that with um, a cell phone even, you can do for GPS um, coordinates to.
2: And I think that, I mean, no one plans to go missing when they're outside, no one plans for, um, you know a tragedy to happen, but the more conscious you are about what could happen in the outdoors, the more prepared you could be. And sometimes being prepared is um, what will save your life.
0: Absolutely. 100%, Sarah. Sarah, thank you so much for, for taking time out of your day and, and talking with us. Is there anything else that you want to share about, um, you know, any of your tips or Wyoming and fish?
2: You know, um, just a couple, a uh, couple important things. Um, you know, just always bring more equipment than you think you need, including extra layers, clothing, food and water. Um, you know, hypothermia can come on fast. And so learning about And recognizing those symptoms in your own body uh, can be really important because when you get overwhelmed, you know, your adrenaline's pumping and you, you know, you're not thinking as clearly as you can be. And so um, just make sure um, to be prepared. I know it's a lot to carry in your pack. No one likes to carry more when they're um, doing any sort of outdoor trip than you need to. But these things are a need to to carry
0: Absolutely, I think you know, like you said earlier, uh, prepare for the worst but hope for the best. And you know, one of the things that we can do is, you know, maybe you know, have a little bit of an extra heavier pack, but have that peace of mind that if something goes sideways, that we're prepared. Absolutely. Well, great, Sarah. Thank you so much, and we really appreciate, <laughs> folks. I want to tell you about this really cool initiative that came to me actually through talking to Sarah Dorenzio about ways we can be safe out in the mountains or make sure that our loved ones are safe when they're out about, you know, doing their thing. And it is called Be 307 Aware. And what it is, is in Wyoming, people frequently need the assistance of search and rescue. No matter how small or large the situation might be, search and rescue volunteers are there to help to get people home safely. And this organization provides some steps you can take to increase your chance of being rescued. One, buy an FRS slash GMRS capable radio or walkie-talkie and program the 307 channel into the radio. It is UHF462.6125, privacy code 85.4 or channel 3 and privacy code 07, open parenthesis, 307, close parenthesis. Two. If you or when you become stranded if searchers are looking for you, they can attempt to contact you on this channel. It is not a 911 type channel. 3. Always tell someone where you are going and when you plan on coming back. Ask local authorities if a check-in form is available. 4. Pack appropriate gear and supplies. See resource link below. 6. Have a portable radio and have it programmed to the 307 channel. Seven, the channel is not a 911, but it can assist you when monitored by search and rescue personnel. Eight, check the weather and avalanche forecast. And nine, search and rescue personnel will not actively monitor channel. And so the this is a flyer provided by the search and Wyoming Search and Rescue Council. It's gonna be linked through the show notes. So make sure you download it. There is these devices that Garmin put out, and they are essentially a a satellite radio, I believe. And what they can help us do is they can keep people in contact when cell phones fail. And so I'm going to link that as well. And what that is, is called the Garmin, the 010-01879-00 inReach Mini lightweight compact satellite radio and it basically isn't working on necessarily the cell phone towers but off satellite so you can still reach and receive communication and so we really like it it's definitely given us the peace of mind when uh you know when my husband was out and hunting and we had you know a brand new baby at home and so you know uh, that brand new mom feeling and You know, every little thing is a really big thing when you don't know what to expect with babies. And so this is a small, rugged, lightweight satellite communicator enables two-way text messaging using the 100% global Iridium network. And there is a satellite subscription required. There is a trigger and interactive SOS to the 24-7 Search and Rescue Monitoring Center. Satellite Satellite subscription is required for this as well. You can access and download maps. US, the NOAA charts, color aerial imagery and more by using the free Garmin EarthMate app. And there is optional in-reach weather forecast available. You can send and receive in-reach messages through compatible Garmin devices, including connected wearables and handhelds. And you can get this on Amazon and as well as I think they have them available in your Cabela's or you know your basic basically like your local sporting goods warehouse should have them. All right. Again. Hi Desiree, how are you today? I'm good. How are you? Good. Thank you for joining us. Uh, So I know that we have a Labor Day weekend, big weekend for going out into the wilderness and enjoying that last little bit of summer. Gosh, it's 90 degrees here in Cheyenne today, so I'm sure people are going to be out and about. Do you have any new updates for us from DCI?
3: Yeah, of course. So over the last two weeks, they've removed eight cases from their database, one from Laramie County, two from Natrona County, two from Fremont County, one from Sweetwater, and two more from Campbell County. Both the Gillette Police Department and Cheyenne Police Department asked for the public's assistance via Facebook for three separate missing cases, all of which were found shortly after, which is wonderful news. The family of a Cody woman asked for help in locating her via Facebook, and she was found shortly after as well. So, our new cases, we have the family of Jocelyn Snelling is asking for help in locating her via Facebook. She ran away from the Casper Youth Crisis Center on August 26th at 11 a.m. She did not have any items with her at the time that she went missing and has no ties to Casper from Cody, Wyoming. Anyone with information, please contact the Casper Police Department at 235-8278. And lastly, there are two new cases on DCI's database. Lillian Garcia, age 17, was last seen in Carbon County on August 13th. She's a white female, only 4'11", 135 pounds, with brown eyes. She has a tattoo on her left arm of a butterfly. Anyone with information, please contact the Rollins Police Department at 307-328-4530 and Wyoma Ghost Bear, age 16, was last seen in Fremont County on August 11th. She's a Native American female, approximately 5'6", 154 pounds, with brown eyes and hair. She was last seen wearing dark blue skinny jeans, a black crop top, and blue moccasins. Anyone with information, please contact Fremont County Sheriff's Office at 307-332-5611, and with all cases, you can contact Wyoming DCI at 307 777 They also have the option to submit tips anonymously on their website.
0: Awesome, Desiree. Thank you for sharing the good news about cases being removed and solved and, you know, for sharing those cases that people need to keep an eye out while we're out and about this weekend.
3: Yeah, yeah, there's been a lot of runaways that
0: have been recovered recently, so I'm glad to hear that. Thank you for joining me on this episode. I want to dedicate this episode not only to BJ and his family in hopes that they get the closure that they're looking for, but to my husband who is setting out to go deer hunting tomorrow because deer season, but also to all the other families who have a loved one who are outdoor enthusiasts because sometimes when cell reception is gone and it gets dark, we get a little worried. So, this episode is for you. I hope you find all the tips that you need to help keep your loved one safe and to give you a little bit of peace of mind. I look forward to joining you next week.